Welcome to Anything But Routine. Today, before we start the podcast, we want to talk about digital dance. Digital dance is an online dance video library. Watch videos on ballet technique, taking a hip-hop class, learning what it means to be a captain, and so much more. Start your seven-day free trial at digitaldanceinstruction.com. Now, enjoy the podcast. I'm very delighted to be able to to have on our little topic discussion today for an hour, Susan Averna, PhD. She trained in developmental, educational, and counseling psychology. Dr. Averna has experience as a school counselor, college professor, and school mental health consultant. She is currently a college cheer and high school dance coach. So that makes her all the more, you know, wonderful to speak with us. Through her business, Witness and Wonder, she facilitates personal and professional development training for educators, students, parents, and athletic coaches, translating ancient wisdom and neuroscience into practical strategies for well-being and peak performance. She's written a book. It's called Witness and Wonder, Resourcing the Educator, and it can be found on Amazon. So please welcome Susan Averna, and we'll just delve right into this because I know as coaches, we are all dealing with a lot of mental health things with our athletes post-COVID. So here we go, Susan. Welcome, and thank you for taking the time to talk on this very needed subject. So it's great to be here. Thank you, Cindy, for inviting me. Um, So someone's going to be monitoring the chat, right? It's either Cindy or somebody else. Yes. And I'd, I'd really love this to be as interactive as we can make it. Um, so I have some points that I want to make for all of you, but really the, the audience can direct the discussion how you'd like. Um, I have some scenarios that I'm going to throw out to you to consider, and I'd love to hear your feedback through the chat or, or if you can unmute them and they want to speak, that's fine too. I don't have a sense of how many people are on the call. Um, but yeah, so let's, let's just dive in. So um like Cindy said, I have been doing this work for a long time, particularly with teens and young adults, and specifically, not exclusively, but specifically with um, cheer and dance. So I think probably we've had a lot of common scenarios. And I've also been sort of tracking the um, social media um, threads around for coaches. And it's the same sort of issues that have been coming up for the last few years. Some are pandemic related and some are not, they've just been exacerbated. And so I'm going to try to touch on some of these, but we can kind of go wherever uh, the crowd wants to go. Um, what, here's what I'm seeing or what I'm hearing about. Um, the loss of motivation or increased anxiety in dancers or a- athletes in general, um, increase in challenging behaviors in their students or sometimes in the parents. Um, and then sort of this general burnout that I'm seeing among educators. And I'm gonna actually refer to you guys as educators because I know some of you are studio owners and dance teachers and some of you are dance coaches. So I'm grouping you together because you are all educators. Um, And so the goals for me for today are to really just provide you with some guiding principles to try to make sense of what's going on, understand these kids' behaviors a little bit better, maybe understand the parents a little bit better and delve underneath to, get some sense of how to, how to address 
and respond to what you're seeing. Um, everything I'm going to talk about is it's not my opinion. It's based in neuroscience and psychological theory. And um, I'm not really going to give you specific do's and don'ts so much. It's more like these general principles that you can hopefully apply across a range of issues that come up for you. But we can certainly get specific today if people want to throw out a scenario that uh, has been happening for them and, and get some specific feedback on that. The other thing that I really want to talk about is how you maintain your own wellness. So pretty much everything I'm going to talk about does double duty here because we're, we're working through the coaching or teaching relationship. Um, and you know how powerful that is. And so it goes both ways. You have a lot of influence over your dancers through that relationship, but they also influence you. And so there are certain things that you can do to maintain your own wellness and be able to show up better for the kids in your care. Um, so that's what we're gonna do. Um, I'm gonna start with asking you to just consider a statement and you can jot down notes if you have something to write on, but that's not necessary. I'd love to hear it in the chat if you want to share what you're thinking about this stuff. Um, but the first thing I'm gonna do, cause I'm also a yoga teacher, is I'm gonna ask you to sit up nice and tall in your chair, if, you, if that's accessible to you. If, if you're in some other scenario, that's okay. Put your feet flat on the floor. And, and you know this from your dancing, rise out of your pelvis, nice long spine, open up through the chest and relax your shoulders so that you can breathe more deeply. And that just kind of gives you a posture of more openness and ability to think more clearly. So I'm gonna throw out this sentence and I want you to consider how it lands for you, whether you think it's completely true or maybe you question it, or maybe you have a very, you bristle against it. The only person we can control is ourself. So just consider that for a second. The only person we can control is ourselves. And another way to think about it, if you're not sure, especially in relation to your dancers, is what is in the coach's control? So I throw this out to educators all the time and I get wildly different feedback. And I would love to hear your thoughts on this. Um, the first thing I hear a lot of times is they sort of believe that's true, but that's not the message they're getting from other people. So when you are in a situation like you're doing some sort of teaching or coaching, a lot of times there are other people that expect you to manage another person. So that might be a parent who's expecting that. It might be an administrator or somebody else who's has some say in what you're doing, um, who can undermine that. But that doesn't make it true. So even though the pressure there is for you to potentially control what's going on with other people in your organization, it's really not, we're really not able to do that. We can influence strongly and we'll talk about all the different ways, positive and negative, that adults tend to influence kids. And some are more effective and some are better for their well-being than others. Um, but the truth is at the end of the day, you truly only have control over your own behavior and your reactions to situations. And that's gonna be important because that is where your own mental health comes into play. So as we start to think about some of these challenging situations that you no doubt face, it's really gonna come down to how are you reacting? How are you responding? How are you taking care of what's happening in that interaction? So the power is always in the relationship. 
And I know you know that if you've been coaching for any length of time, you know that how powerful the relationship is. And so we don't manage other people specifically, but we do influence them through our relationship with them. And in my opinion, from, from, from what I have gleaned from a lot of different theories and um, perspectives is that the most effective way to influence another person or even a whole team is through those moment to moment, day to day interactions rather than any sort of blanket um, contract or um, expectations that are laid out ahead of time. So while I think it's really good to have, I think it's great actually to have parameters of and expectations of what you're looking for and knowing you know, what is acceptable or not acceptable in your program. What I see a lot of the time is contracts that are getting longer and longer and longer to try to account for every possible scenario that may come up and really have a specific sort of consequence or outcome if a student does X, Y, or Z. And I get the appeal of that. And I've done that. I've made that mistake as a coach myself because it gives sort of this sense of control. Like, okay, if you do this behavior, then this is what's going to happen. And it's sort of all out of my hands. You signed it. Um, but human beings are just, just more gray than that. They're just, it's just not so cut and dry. And so where we really want to find the influence is in what are we communicating about what we value, um, about how we want to be in the world, the feedback we're giving moment to moment, what we're modeling is actually going to speak way stronger than what we're saying anyway. That's the stuff that's going to shape positively your athletes. And it allows for a little more um, that of that gray area. If you have a kid who's struggling and it's showing up in their behavior, and we're going to get to, we're going to get in a little bit to challenging behavior. But if that's what's going on, it allows you to then dig a little deeper and meet them through that relationship to understand what's going on with them and actually give them a chance to meet the expectations rather than just saying, you've been late three times and here's the consequence. So what we're gonna come back to that. Um, but here's the kicker. In order to, for you to be good at this as a coach or as a teacher, you have to have a, a really good sense of, of self-awareness, be able to be self-reflective, know what you're throwing out in the moment to moment in terms of your body language, in terms of your tone, in terms of what, what you're saying, but not just verbally and non-verbally, all that's coming through all the time. And so that's, that's a lot to, to think about. And we don't need to do that perfectly. We're gonna come back to that as well. Um, but it really requires a high level of personal development to be good at this. And anybody who's doing it for a long time, they probably, if you reflect back on your early days of coaching, you may be very different in how you are around kids or how you handle situations because we do learn from experience. That's how everybody learns. Um, so we're gonna stop there for a second. I just wanna say, Cindy, I heard in one of your podcasts how you had recommended one of Coach K's books, mm -hmm. the, head, the head basketball coach. So I read it a, a couple months ago. And of course I agreed with 99% of what he said. But right. one, one statement he made that I loved because it really speaks to what I'm saying here is win the moment. I don't know if you remember him saying that, win the moment. Win the moment. So it's really about, you know, 
whatever your end game is, and you, you, you know, it's fine to set these goals, but it's the moment to moment interactions that matter. And you don't have to win every one of them, but the more that you're able to kind of communicate the bigger value system through what you're doing moment to moment, day to day, that's where you really um, can have the most influence. I just have to interject that I yeah. love, I've stepped back to what you were speaking about, about the contracts and everything. And it, that's probably one of the biggest things I get asked on the Facebook group is, and people are, I agree with you. They're always wanting you to add this in a contract and this in a contract. And I actually heard a podcast where they were suggesting it. And I was going, no, you know, you can't have every scenario. And I also think, you know, let's catch them doing something right. And yeah. it's gotta be your, it's gotta be your culture, not your contract. Exactly. Exactly. And, and I think, you know, a, a loose contract is a good, you do want to have certain things. Yeah. You need course. something. Right. Right. Um, and I learned that the hard way myself because I kept trying to manage the behavior through a tighter contract and it just, it doesn't work. Right. Um, yeah. So okay. I'm glad you, I'm okay. glad you agree with that. Yeah. So um, because we off, we're always communicating, even if we don't think we are, even if it's unintentional, we're always communicating something oftentimes non-verbally. Um, I'm going to have you do a little exercise here. Again, it's just a thinking exercise, but I would love to hear from you if, if anyone wants to uh, say some things in the chat afterwards. So again, just kind of get into that meditative posture, nice upright posture. And I want you to bring to mind a favorite student. So it could be someone you currently have or in the past, as long as you have a good sense of the relationship you had or have with them. And when you think of this student, pay attention to what's happening in your body in terms of any sensations, feelings, thoughts that come up. And if you wanna note it, if you wanna jot it down, that's, that's fine. Or just kind of hold that in your consciousness. And now think about how that person experiences you or experienced you if it was a, someone in, from the past. So try to take their perspective of your relationship. What do you think they felt in their bodies and what were they thinking, um, you know, the thoughts that they had when they were in your presence. And I invite anybody to either unmute and tell me or put it in the chat if you want to. And if not, we'll, we'll move on so you can kind of feel the difference here. Now I want you to do this with your most challenging student or dancer. Think about that individual. Think about when you're with them, what kind of comes up for you? What's your body posture, tension like? Uh, what sort of feelings do you have? Thoughts you might have, energy level, anything like that at all. And note that. And then again, try to take their perspective. So what are they feeling when they're in your presence? What might it be like for them? So does anybody want to 
I'll, I'll, I have I'll lots of examples share. of this. I'll just, can you hear me? Yeah. I'll just share that, you know, I just went through a workshop last night with my kids and, um, and it's interesting to look at it from the side that you're saying right now, because the kids that struggled with it, that had it challenging, I'm sure that I, you know, I'm, I'm nervous that I gave off a negative energy to them because you're, you know, you have someone else teaching your kids and you're a little nervous that they're not measuring up possibly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I'm wondering if they felt my nerves or frustration because you different, definitely have a different feeling. Yeah. And, yeah. and we know this now. Um, I mean, we've always sort of known about nonverbal communication and how posture influences, how people perceive us, even your breathing people are picking up on all the time. And this is happening at an unconscious level. So it's not like a, a kid is looking at you and saying, oh, Miss Cindy, your shoulders are up here and you're kind of tight around your mouth and your breathing is shallow. They're not thinking that, but their bodies are noticing it and they're interpreting it. And if they know you and they already have a close, tight, attuned relationship with you, then that's probably not going to be that big a deal because they might know that maybe you just came rushing in from heavy traffic and that's what's going on. Um, If they don't know you, then they're a little bit more in the dark. Um, and what's interesting is even if you try to explain to someone why you are, let's say you are a little frazzled and or grumpy or whatever, you've had a rough day, even if you verbally tell someone that and say, it's not about you, it's not personal, it's just, that's just not the way we're built. We're biologically made to read it, to feel it, to interpret it, and then to uh, usually attribute it to something that's going on between us. So there's no magic fix to that other than being aware of how your posture, how you're breathing, how your body tension, how the tone of your voice could be influencing the people around you. Oh, that's yeah. Yeah. And it, and it's, you know, we can't, I'm not saying you need to be cheerful and smiley all the time because that's not possible, but just recognizing that maybe you're, maybe they're responding to you in some way. Mm -hmm. And if you start to see one or two or three, whatever, a few kids who are seem to be very reactive to you that's interesting right there that's where you you might need to actually um, find out what's going on because for them it's probably something in their own history that they're reading and interpreting from you Um, it you know it could be a lot of different things but I'm thinking of a girl in particular who was on my dance team and well it's actually the opposite she triggered me (laughs) so she always had a scowl on her face and she always had this sort of angry posture. And I didn't know her. This was the first time I'd I'd ever coached her. Um, And she had emailed me a bunch of times before the season started. And I was so excited to meet this girl because through email, she was so pleasant. And, um, but every time I came into the practice, I'd almost retract a little from her. And I just had to be aware of that, that I wasn't amplifying it because of my own um, just sort of automatic reactions to her as just sort of her way of being, you know, and it wasn't about me. It wasn't about the team. It wasn't about the practice. It's just how she carried herself. And, you know, if I got to know her better, I might be able to dig and find out what's going on under there. And maybe she is struggling and suffering in some way. Um, But at a minimum, I just need to be careful that I'm not reactive. I don't get harsher with her. I don't use a little bit tighter tone or whatever. Um, So these are things, when I say becoming more self-aware, it's really just noticing, noticing patterns in yourself, um, very non-judgmentally. So this isn't about 
criticizing yourself or being hard on yourself. It's just knowing that as humans, these are our tendencies. We're going to have people that we click with or don't click with. We're going to have days where we're, um, you know, throwing off a vibe that maybe we don't intend to. And the more that we're aware of that, there's more opportunity to change it. And even if we don't change it, at least we can recognize that maybe that's having some influence on the people around us. Um, but if you are noticing that there's somebody who sort of triggers you over and over and over again, um, you may know why or you may not know why, that's something to, to, to bring to mind as well because you don't want to be in a, a reactive state all the time. So you, you'd have to kind of figure out a way to, to recognize that, well, there's something here, I don't entirely understand it, and um, there's a thing. Sometimes just, just recognizing that something's going on kind of uh, takes it down a notch and, that, and doesn't make it so personal to that person or to you. It's just, oh, I don't know, there's something here. Um, and that can help you to be less reactive as well. Um, a related thing to this, and it, this is more cognitive, but it also can influence how you are with your students is what you expect from them. So the power of expectation. Uh, and this can be influenced from all kinds of things. If you know, they, can, they had a reputation before they got to you and the other, their previous dance coach told you, watch out for this one or you know, whatever, you have some history with them. Maybe they weren't so great last season and you have a memory of that and you haven't been able to start with a clean slate. Whatever it is, if, and it, it could be a positive expectation. I mean, you know the power of that as well. That's amazing when you can really sort of believe in a kid more than they believe in themselves, they will often rise to that occasion. So they are gonna rise or fall to your expectation. So that's another place to just be aware. Um, if you are sort of holding some expectations for a kid, see if you can question that and maybe um, not just assume that that's true. And so a lot of what I'm doing here is think having you think about, um, stay curious about your own behavior and stay curious about other people's behavior. If you can stay in a point of curiosity rather than judgment, you are so far ahead of the game. And that would even be true with parents because parents are going to come at you with all kinds of things. I'm sure you have stories. I have stories. <laughs> uh, and again, it's, it's hard sometimes not to take it personally, but it's almost never personal. It's always about them. It's, uh, that's true of yeah. any, any relationship. It's always about the other person, which doesn't mean you're not, you're not doing something that couldn't, could be making it worse. But when somebody comes to you with something, it's about their needs and their feelings. So the more you can kind of remember that and also assume that maybe they are suffering in some way. That's a tough one when someone's being harsh on you or disrespectful or coming at you with aggression. It's really hard to stay in that place of curiosity. So I'm not saying that it's an easy thing to do at all. But if you can, um, you will see it diffuse rather than meeting them with that aggression or meeting them with uh, the disrespect or whatever. And it also will just be better for you, your heart, your body, your nervous system. If you can kind of keep in, your, in the back of your mind, well, I don't know how, what's going on here, but they're suffering. So I'm gonna to try to get to the bottom of what's, what are they needing here? What are they feeling that's creating this behavior? Um, and so we'll come back to that when I talk more about the challenging behavior we're seeing in kids right now too. 
One other thing I'm noticing, and I'm curious if anyone else is noticing it, is a lack of motivation or, or what appears to be anyway, a lack of motivation in their students or dancers. And so you can just say yes, or uh, uh, I don't know if anyone's, I see a couple people said some things in the chat, but I can't see what they are. Um, that seemed to be true more. I've been coaching on and off for 30 years. And so I, but I took a big break. So I wasn't sure if what had changed if this was a pandemic related thing, or if maybe it had just changed over the last decade, because the last time I coached was 2015 until about two years ago again. So, um, but I definitely saw a change in the students um, and they're just their commitment, they're coming late, just skipping their excuses, um, not really being engaged when they're there. Not all of them, but you know, right. many of them. I feel in the chat, it's saying, yes, 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 I have agree, agree. So I think we're all feeling that. And I yeah. say personally, um, I, I feel it was COVID and mm. we're overcoming it. But, you know, I mean, I feel kids got a taste of let's do school from home. Let's not have yeah. to be there. I mean, I will even use myself for an example. I, I work really hard all the time. And when I had a summer off from all my engagements, it was a little hard to gear back up. It was, yeah. like, I'm liking these like easy days. And I think the kids felt that way and they don't have the maturity or, you know, to realize this isn't life. You, and, and probably personally on, on our team locally, we had more kids quit in the past mm. couple of years than we have ever had. And I do yeah. think it's a symptom of, you know, but we're, we're coming through it. So I think everyone, this is a good topic to talk about because we definitely are all feeling it. Yeah, and I think there's a bunch of reasons. So here's another example. I'm gonna jump ahead to, to, to another, uh, we'll, we'll kind of put these things together, but one way to think about behavior, rather than just how do we shape it through rewards or punishment or consequences and praise and that kind of thing, that those things are okay. I mean, they have their place and they can be effective some of the time with some kids. But if you really wanna reach the kids that are challenging and not, um, isolate or push away the ones that are just having a hard time and they can't seem to meet your expectations and the behavior's not quite there. The one way to think about this is, and maybe you've seen this analogy of the, of the iceberg, right? So the behavior's at the tip. That's what you're seeing. Don't assume you know what's driving it and try not to be reactive just to the behavior itself. And I know that's hard when they are being disrespectful or whatever they're doing. Um, but under that is always, if it's unwanted behavior, it's always some sort of intolerable emotion. Okay. And it could be a lot of different things. Usually they're negative. Occasionally people can be overwhelmed with positive emotion, but generally speaking, they could be angry, scared, frustrated, hopeless, embarrassed. Um, the, the list goes on and on. You can think of any, any negative emotion, if it gets strong enough, is going to overwhelm. And if you're working with teens, that's easy to see. So when someone's in that state, they're dysregulated and that's typically what produces the behavior. So the first thing is to try to get to the emotion. Okay, you know, what is it that you're feeling here? Because they may not even know, or maybe they do. If you can get even deeper than that, there's usually a need below the emotion that's not getting met. And I would say there's, I mean, there's an endless list of human needs that it could be, but Two that pop out to me when I think about teams and especially performance type teams is safety. 
And I'm not talking about physical safety. I'm talking about emotional safety that they feel like um, connected and that, that they can do this, that they're not going to feel humiliated or um, embarrassed, that kind of thing. And belonging, that they feel connected and, and valued and wanted and that kind of thing. If those two things are not there, that can produce all kinds of negative behaviors or first through that overwhelming emotion. And it may be nothing that you're doing and it may not even be something that the team is doing. This could be coming from their own history but influencing their experience with you. But if you're able, if you have a kid who's constantly missing uh, or constantly late or they just seem checked out, it is worth a conversation, a genuine conversation of care, of I notice this behavior, I'm wondering what you're feeling, and try to do it in the most open, curious, non-judgmental way possible. I'm really curious what's going on. I'd really love to hear about you know, what you're feeling, what you might be needing. Now, they may not know what they're needing, and you may not be able to meet the need either. Um, if you can, that's wonderful. But just recognizing that it's there sometimes has makes people feel seen, cared for, valued, and you will notice a shift in the behavior a lot of the time. Sometimes they, they can't do it. The, the circumstances are such that they're just not going to be able to correct the behavior no matter what. And that is a situation where then you have to say, okay, for the good of the team, you know, this isn't the, the season for you, but I, you know, I care about you and I want to help you to be able to manage these things so that you can meet the requirements. So it's not so cut and dry. That's where we come back to the contract. It's like, okay, you can have your, we only, you can only miss so many times conversation, but it really has to be a little more individualized. Like what's going on that's preventing this student from getting here? And can we help that out? And if we can't, well then of course, now you're gonna have to say, it's, it's not fair to the whole team. So it's, it's a balance, it's a tricky balance and it puts you as a coach in a, in a you know, not so cut and dry position. And some people don't like that. They'd rather have it written in ink and signed and just say, I'm so sorry, but you're done. Um, so you just gotta be aware of like, what, what are you comfortable with? Are you able to be a little bit more um, flexible in that way, but also have the boundaries that you need in order to keep your team running? Because I think, Cindy, we talked briefly about this when I did your podcast. I had a heck of a time last fall because I had so many challenging kids and they were undermining the whole team. And I hung in there with a bunch of them for a long time. You know, I'm a psychologist first, too. So I didn't want to just kick them off. But ultimately, there was a few that I had to let go of just yeah. for the greater good. So it's, it's not one or the other. You just got to think about um, don't immediately assume the worst with the behavior. Don't immediately assume it's about you and take it personally. Really try to stay in that curious spot of, I wonder what is overwhelming this child and what is, what are they needing that they're not getting? And can I help them with that? Yeah. And if the answer is yes, great. And if it's no, then this is not the time for you to be doing this. And I, yeah. I think you're saying some really important things that we all need to hear because a lot of times, like the, the challenging behavior, you know, you're making me try to be more compassionate, which I feel like I am pretty compassionate, but sometimes you get frustrated and, yeah. you know, I feel like I vibe off kids a lot. And if they're, mm -hmm. if they have like, um, 
and I think of one of our students and, and she actually would be kind of mopey a lot mm. and it was signaling something else. You know, it, yeah. it was definitely a symptom of something else. And I think being compassionate rather than reactive to it is so important. So I needed to hear that today. It's so important, but it's also so difficult. So I don't want to try to hold any, you're all human. And I have, I have messed this up many times, but, oh, that's, an, that's another point I wanted to make is there will be times when you say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing, you're too harsh, whatever. You go home after a practice and you go, man, I did not handle that well. That's okay. Yeah, we all. But the repair is critical. So again, always keep in mind that relationship. So can you repair that the next time you're together? And what's also beautiful about the repair is you are modeling for them a life skill. Relationships are hard and breakdowns happen and people misread each other and they are they react to each other. And to, to expect that that's not going to happen is not realistic. But knowing that I care enough about you to say, I went home and I realized that I snapped at you yesterday and I was really tired and it wasn't about you and, I, and I'm sorry, um, shows them one, you reflect, two, you cared enough to come and repair it. Right. And that it is, we're back on track. So you're modeling it at the same time. Um, so that's just another one, just, you know, you don't have to hold yourself to the highest standard, but keeping that relationship at the forefront. Um, one other thing I wanted to say about motivation is I think that if I were to poll everybody here and said, do you use threats or do you inspire? I don't know that anybody would say I threaten in, in, in a way to motivate, but if we define it as uh, more like using guilt or fear or, uh, you know, this will be lost if you're not able to get this skill or that kind of thing it starts to fall under more of a, that safety or lack of safety feeling. And the one thing we know from biology and psychology is that when a person is under threat, they do not perform well. It's not, it might, you might get a little bit of a short term gain, but you don't get the gains you wanna see over time. You won't get their peak performance that way. So if you're using guilt or shame or fear, even in, in minor ways, it's not gonna get you there. Um, but here's the other thing. A lot of times the threats are coming from themselves because they have such a strong inner critic and they may have gotten that from who knows where any kind of, in the, it's in the culture, it could be from their parents, it could be from other experiences they've had. Um, you will hear it in kids who are very self-critical and that is gonna undermine their motivation. Um, the biggest thing I can say about that is Again, modeling self-compassion is one of the best ways to counteract a really strong inner critic. So let me just define what that is. It's as it sounds, it is having compassion toward yourself. Um, and what that means is being kind to yourself, kind of having your own back, um, not being harsh on yourself when you make a mistake. Uh, recognizing your common humanity, recognizing that you're flawed, we're all flawed, we all make mistakes. Now, that seems fairly simple, but the truth is that most of us are really bad at that. We're much more likely to be compassionate toward another person than we are toward ourselves. So if you're the type of person like myself who 
you know, you make a mistake and you tend to maybe ruminate over that a little bit or beat yourself up about it. Um, you're going to see, I see this so much in kids right now, especially teen girls. It's just everywhere. It drives anxiety. It drives depression. It undermines motivation. It undermines performance. So the more we can talk about um, being compassionate to ourselves, you could use the example with them is what would your best friend say? Oh, no, I'm sorry. What would you say to your best friend if they were beating themselves up the way you are? What words would you say to them? Because they're not going to be harsh on their best friend if their best friend's suffering. And can you kind of give yourself those same kind words or soothing? Um, and it's, again, it's a practice. So just like we try to build a skill, any kind of technical skill, this is a skill. It doesn't come naturally. It's not going to be like, oh, I'm just going to decide to do this and I'm good at it now. It's got to be catch yourself being critical and bring that sort of alternate voice in um, to maybe be a little more soothing or less harsh on yourself. And I've seen a big change in kids when they're able to do this. And there's all kinds of exercises I can, um, I can point you in the direction of, of moment. Well, it's in my book and there's a bunch of them in my book, but also just other resources on how to um, teach people to use these exercises. Um, it's funny, I had a, I, so I just started coaching this college team and it's a fairly new team. They didn't have a coach before, it was a club sport. And so they were kind of self-run and they were, they were happy to have a coach, but it's, it's different, you know, me coming in. And I wanted to see what they could do in terms of stunting. And one of the girls, um, she's only, a, she's a freshman. Now she's a rising sophomore, um, had been a flyer. And so we just started with a, you know, very simple stunt to, to progress her up. And she didn't seem to know what she was doing. And I was giving her tons of feedback as she was doing it. And it was more because I was worried for her safety. I didn't want her to fall. I just wanted to make sure she was doing everything correctly. And she was fine and she got up in it and I was thrilled. And I said, all right, we got something here. Um, later in the practice, she came over to me and she looked kind of not upset, but a little bit nervous. And she said, I, I want to apologize coach. Uh, I I'm embarrassed of, of how I did that. And I was so taken aback because I thought, oh my gosh, was I, super critical. Like I, that wasn't my intention. I was just giving her lots of feedback because I didn't want her to fall and hurt her bases or hurt herself. Uh, and I, you know, so that's again, a sort of a repair. I mean, that was a, a, a mini breakdown. It was a misunderstanding. I had to think about, you know, what did I say and how did I say it? And was this, is this just her being overly sensitive or, or maybe I need to adjust? Um, so those are, that's what I mean is just being reflective in that way. And I don't need to beat myself up for that. I just have to be a little curious of like, hmm, I wonder how I'm coming across them because I'm new. I don't know her. I've coached other teams for, you know, eight, 10 years. And you can say all kinds of things because they know you. You have that loving relationship in place. This girl, I had met her two days prior. So yeah. And once I was able to clarify, oh, no, I think you did great. I, I, was, I was very happy. And um you know, I was just trying to make sure that you didn't hurt yourself. And then, then she relaxed and smiled and everything, and it was all good. So that was just an example, but it also might be an example of her being maybe super critical of herself. So that's to be seen, but she might have a sort of tape running in her mind. Um, and you can kind of hear that. It usually comes out when they're either 
verbalizing it about themselves or often they'll verbalize it about other people. People who are, who are very self-critical tend to be very critical of others. It, they go together. Um, and so my, my solution to that is always compassion. It's, it's when you hear someone cutting someone else down and being critical, it's easy to get angry at them and, and admonish them for that. But if you remember again, that most likely they're even harder on themselves, that this is, this is based in an insecurity, it's based in a harshness of themselves. If you can get them to be a little more self-compassionate and that will translate into, into better behavior and less threat around other people as well. So, so I'm a big fan of self-compassion. And again, we can talk about some of those exercises toward the end. Anybody in the chat, questions, thoughts, want to direct it in any way? There's no questions right now. Um, one person had shared that th this goes back a while from what you're talking about, that, that she was really struggling. She kept trying to pull a dancer along that was struggling a lot with conversations with parents, but she wasn't able to keep up with the expectations and they ended up taking her off, but it was hard because she felt mm -hmm. like she was giving up. With everybody, with what's going on, it's really hard to know if you're making the right decision when you remove a kid from your team because yeah. you, know, you think that you might be the only saving grace for them. But but it is really hard, and I, my heart goes out to you for having to do that. And there, it, it's not black and white. It's just mm -hmm. not. It's not that clear sometimes. And I, maybe this girl will come back. I, yeah. I've had scenarios where I've coached, and this was more of a behavior issue than a skill issue. But I had um, a, a person who just wasn't, her attitude was bad. She was you know, missing lots of practices and doing all kinds of things. And ultimately, I can't remember if I kicked her off or she quit, but it, it just sort of, we, we went our separate ways. Um, but I'm always trying to keep a good relationship no matter what. And, you know, I saw her the next season, um, the, in the gymnasium and she gives me a little wave and I'm, you know, so we still have that connection. And when she came back, I think a year later, she was a different person. And I don't know why, I don't know what's going on in her life. It could have just been maturity. It could have been stresses in her life that was prohibiting her from being able to do what she needed to do at the time. Um, we became very close. She did very well her senior year. So you can't save them all. You know, you can only be the best version of yourself that you can be. And that's where that, personal development work comes in. So the more self-reflective you can be, self-aware you can be, but you really got to bring in the self-compassion because it's a slippery slope. You could, you could start to harsh on yourself and that's no good. So just stay curious about how you are as a coach and in relationships. And, and you're going to actually notice that whatever you notice in your coaching relationships, well, probably you'll notice in others too, because this is universal. This stuff is not just about coaching or, or educating kids. This is, you'll find this in your peer relationships, your romantic relationships. It's, it's just, it's who we are. It's our tendencies. Um, and so the more familiar we can be with them, the more possibility we have to shift them if it's not serving us. But we gotta be very kind of light and, and, and non-judgmental about it. Otherwise it can go it can go in the wrong direction. Um, I'll just make one note. In terms of 
when you are setting up your contracts and when you think about how you want to handle certain situations, I guess it really depends on what your values are. And I know, Cindy, you've done podcasts on this, so uh, you can go listen to, to Cindy's has great advice on this, but really know who you are as a coach or, uh, you know, as a teacher and what your program is about. Like what's, what's, do you primarily value? Is it all about winning? Is it all about youth development? Or it's usually a mix of a lot of things, Mm -hmm. but what at the end of the day is the sort of the strongest driving force, because that's going to help guide the decisions you make. I was, I was talking with a friend um, the other day about, um, you know, how, whether you keep a student who's struggling or not. And, and this sort of zero tolerance policy that I see a lot of the times in contracts of, well, you've, you've messed up too many times and you're done. And he was like, well, that's what you got to do if you're going to win. I'm like, well, yes. If the only goal is winning and you're at some high competitive level, um, in this case, we were talking about like post-college sports. So it was a different scenario. Um, then that's, that's different Then maybe that is your policy. But if you're a high school coach or even a college coach or definitely with younger kids, hopefully at least a piece and a big piece is this youth development, you're developing the person through the sport or through the activity as well. And that will change the decisions you make. That's, that's where that gray area comes in. And I love- want to say anything about that, Cindy. I love how you, you know, say that you need to go back and talk to your athletes. If you've, if you've been harsh or maybe not as nice as you would be, I think they need to see your human. And I like, mm. I like the healing, the recovery part of it, because it's a relationship. It, it truly yes. is. And, and I, I just like that. We all need to think about there's oftentimes something going on and you said something about, it's never about you. I, I agree. And I, I think this is one thing our, our directors and, and young coaches well even old coaches struggle with is that we take things so personally and it's not always about you. There's other things going on. And if we're going to stay in this game, you know, it's tough if you take yeah. everything personally and that's easier oh, yeah. than done. Cause I take things personally too, you know, well, if you have a big heart and I do, and you do, you know, then we take things personally, yep. but that's also a practice. And I'm not saying to be um, like cold hearted. We're like, Oh, I don't care. That's not about me. That's, that's not what I mean at all. It's just about recognizing that this is about the other person's confusion, sadness, you know, whatever, something's going on over there. That's creating this behavior. And maybe they're coming at you. Um, and I, I cannot tell you how many times I've diffused a parent by not biting back. You know, they come in guns blazing and then you're like, oh, you know, tell me more about what's going on. And, and they're sort of taken aback by that. Like, oh, you want to hear this? Yeah, of course I want to hear this, you know? And okay, so, and sometimes, and if, you, if you've been working with kids, you know that the story might be different from what you've seen versus what they're saying. Anyway, so it's, it's always good to keep that, the defense is down. Don't rush to blame. It's not, you're not to blame. They're not to blame. Like just give everybody the benefit of the doubt at the outset. I know that there's some parents out there that <laughs> maybe you should take some blame, but generally speaking, if you can kind of keep the, that, that sort of approach of uh, curiosity, 
just keep coming back to that. I wonder what's going on. I wonder what's going on here. Um, it will serve you really, really well with your kids, with the parents that you serve, um, with your assistants. It's just a good relationship advice in general. Because how many times have we really rushed to judgment and then you realize you had it all wrong? And then you went through all this stress of thinking something and your body reacting to it and all of that, all for nothing. Yeah. So the more you can just stay out of that, the better. Um, and that again is where that burnout piece comes because this stuff, you just, what we do, it comes with this baggage. It just does. You can have the best team in the world, but you're still going to have the little infighting over here and the, I don't know, the jealousy over there. And this one's not doing what she does. And then the parent, this one's calling me. It's just there. So if you let it get to you, you will burn out. And you've been at this how many decades, Cindy? Four? Uh, you really want to know. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think you had said four. Four and a half. Four and a half. So yeah. Yeah. Well, I've been at it for three and probably more if, if I count when I was a teenager coaching little kids. Right. So yeah, you got to, you got to work that out. Um, okay. Let me tell you a little more about self-compassion if I haven't convinced you yet, because I am such a fan of this. So there's been a lot of research lately on self-compassion practices and people who can kind of embody that way of being and what it relates to. And so some people, when they hear it, they think, well, wait a minute, if I'm too nice to myself or if I'm, if I mess up and I'm not harsh on myself, I'll never get better. You know, they have that no pain, no gain. I must be harsh to improve philosophy. And self-compassion actually says just the opposite. It says that people who are more self-compassionate, <coughs> excuse me, there's a, the pollen here is awful and it's starting to get to Oh, us. here too. Um, <coughs> they are more likely to persevere. They are more likely to admit wrongdoing and repair. Um, they're more likely to, to reach their peak performance. So it reduces the threat. So if that, if that inner critic is playing and they're able to replace that with some kinder words that takes down the threat that they're experiencing and that allows them to, to try and fail and try again. It reduces rumination because it can cut that off. <coughs> It allows for positive risk-taking. So maybe they wouldn't have had the, the, um, the nerve to try something because they are afraid to, to make a fool of themselves or, be, you know, but if they know that they're not gonna harsh out on themselves afterwards, if they don't do it well, then why not take, take the chance? So for all these reasons, it's a really good practice. Um, and I feel like teen girls, especially, I mean, it's, it's true for boys as well and at any age, but they need these practices. And if you, you could even bring them into your program and it would serve them well, not just in your program, but in life. Because what I'm seeing right now is so, with social media and the social comparisons that are going on, these kids are so hard on themselves. They're holding themselves to standards that are not even possible. They're not real, but they don't get seem that. To get that. Or maybe they get it intellectually, but it's still, eroding their sense of self. And so the more you can give them these other skills to kind of come in and counteract all of that, you know, you must look this way, you must have lead the best life, always be exciting, all the things that they're kind of picking up 
through looking at what's going on through social media, which is a complete farce anyway. Um, that's another way that we protect them from the anxiety and the depression that is just rampant um, right now. And just like you know, anything, you're, any skill you're trying to learn, it is going to take some time. So you can even explain that to them, that this isn't something you just decide to do. It's, you, there's different strategies. Um, a simple one is just honestly noticing when you're suffering, just noticing it and make a note of it. And again, come in with maybe um, a kind gesture or a kind word for yourself that you would give to your friend who was maybe going through the same thing. But there's more formal exercises. Um, there's ways, I'm gonna, I can, I can show you a bunch um, in the book at the end. But it is through the repeated practice. So this is something I've been doing. I took a little course in it, I don't know, five, six years ago. And I dabbled in it for a while. And then I started doing it more and more. And what I realized is you don't see the progress day to day or even week to week. But when you look back, after a few months, you're like, wow, I don't really ruminate as much anymore, or I don't get anxious about that as much anymore. So it does with consistent practice, just like everything else you do, um, improve. And the research shows that to be true as well. All right, so we only have a few minutes left. How best can I use this time Oh, there's a bunch of stuff that just came in um, or not a lot. Okay. Uh, oh, one of, one of the Sarah from, I think it's Academy of Holy Angels said, we use the my story exercise that she got from me, which I got it from someone else. And, and they change it a bit each session for, it gives the coach insight on what the dancer, because it tells all about the dancer. And if anyone yeah. wants that, I do have that. It, it just basically has stuff like, what do you fear? What is your biggest fear? You know, um, what should we know about you? What's your family situation? And, and it really does help you see them in a more, it's things that you might not know about your app mm -hmm. that you need to know to serve them better. And I say serve them because you are serving them. So, um, and only the coaches get to read those. And I'm just seeing it, it's not just recognizing if they have a bad day that day, but it's more like a, a life, uh, you know, something that you utilize all year. And yeah. while you have to reflect back on them. So, um, yeah, that's a great idea. Someone's asking if we could add these into our monthly meetings for, you know, just to talk about being mindful and quick compassion. And on that same thing, I was thinking of what can we do at practice to, you know, it's, it's probably as, what would you at, do at practice once a week or once a day to talk about being self-compassionate and. I wouldn't say it would have to be every practice or even once a week, but it's definitely something that, again, you might want to start with a formal conversation about it, but it's the kind of thing that you catch when it's happening and that you would model as the leader and maybe get the older kids to model. Okay. So, I mean, I do this with my kids. So my, I have a son who's very perfectionistic and he's hard on himself. And so I make sure that when I make a mistake in front of him, I'm verbalizing out loud mm -hmm. that, oh, it's okay. That, you know, it's not a big deal. These things happen. I'm going to fix this. Is how I'm going to fix it. You know? So it's, it's more, that's more effective if you're going to do things sort of day to day is 
when someone makes a mistake or they you you hear the the critical talk, how are you addressing that? And not formally, but okay. how are you responding to that? So rather than like I said, admonishing, oh, we don't you know don't criticize your teammate. It's oh, I, I wonder why you're feeling that way. You know, just sort of getting at what's driving the criticism. One thing about the inner critic that's interesting is if you meet it head on, sometimes it gets it gets louder because it's there for a reason. It, it, this, this may sound counterintuitive, but the inner critic comes in as a protective force. So you might think, oh, well, why would me being harsh on me be protective? But it kind of develops, at least this is one theory of thinking about it. It develops as a way to, I'm going to be harsher on me so you can't be. You know, I'm going to be so hard on me. No one else is going to cut me down because I'm going to make sure that I'm, I never put myself in that risky situation or that I'm only the best before I do. And so you really need to almost bring compassion to the critic. You know, like, thank you so much for trying to protect me, but we're good. You know, so it's, it's, it's a little bit tricky in that way. I will tell you, because I know we don't have, uh, unless we can go over time. Um, there's a couple of resources to check out. One is my book. <laughs> I don't know hey, you know. guys, I hope you'll all buy her book on Amazon. Um, yeah, it's, I priced it very affordably. So, but in the back, there's a lot of exercises. They're not just self-compassion, but there's a handful of those. There's a lot of um, things on posture and verbal and nonverbal communication and language and all kinds of things that are applicable to anyone who's educating. But, and so you can kind of use those if they're, if they're useful to you. The other resource I will give you um, is Kristen Neff, N-E-F-F. She's a researcher on self-compassion and she has a website called selfcompassion.org. And I think it's self-compassion.org. And on there, she has a ton of exercises. And some of them, I will just tell you right now, some of them really resonate for me. Some of them are kind of cringy. You know, you just pick the ones that kind of feel like are useful and maybe test them out with your team too. The one of them that I love is where they write a letter about all their flaws, but then they write it from the perspective of like a really loving person, maybe a best friend or a, a loving figure back. Someone who knows them in and out, has seen them in their, at their absolute worst, knows everything good and bad about them. And then you write it from that perspective and, and give yourself that sort of care that that other person would give to you. Because so it's very really, hard for us to do that for ourselves. So you're meaning I would write a letter about all my flaws, la, la, la. And then I would write another one back pretending I'm someone else. Exactly. Responding oh, to that. You, it's like on that. the website if, if I'm, not, I'm not being clear about it. But okay. I, I liked that because that was one of the ones I could actually do. Um, there's some that were a little more touchy-feely that didn't feel right to me. But it's, it's different for every person. So, you know, there's there's a lot of ways in here. But I just think that we need to get that message across. We need to get that practice across more to kids. And I, I just will add that you made me think of this when you were saying that about kids and how they're feeling inside that a lot of time um, lack of confidence manifests itself as laziness. Yes. And when we so get frustrated, I, go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry. I was just going to say when we get frustrated with kids, sometimes it, it's just that they don't want to put themselves out there and take that yeah. risk. It's that's, much easier. To my book too, yep, but okay. that's that pyramid of, of behavior. So the tip looks like lazy, 
question lazy. Don't assume lazy. What's underneath lazy? It oh, could I be fear that. of failure. It could be so many different things. And if you just said, come on, you're lazy, work harder, you're not getting at whatever that need or that, that emotion is. But if you can get it at it, you will see the laziness fall away. And maybe you'll see their true potential. Someone wants the title of your book again. Could you? Oh, sure. Again? I know it's not showing up good because I'm. It's called mind. Witness and Wonder. Witness and Wonder. The subtitle is Resourcing the Educator. And it's just if you search it on Amazon um, or just search my name on Amazon, I don't think there's anybody else selling anything with my name. So, Susan Averna. Yeah, uh, we do a book club at camp, and I'm starting to think that next summer your book should be our book club. <laughs> Someone said this in here, um, Kate Schmaltz, that that would be neat. So, yeah. Well, Susan, thank you so very much, and I appreciate oh, your time. You. And we'll connect again. And thanks, everybody, for taking this. I know here it's a beautiful, sunny, but windy day. I don't know about where you're at, everyone, but any last questions for Susan? I think everyone's probably over their lunch break and ready to get yeah. to work. So, all right. All right. Well, well, thanks, really everyone. Always great thanks to talk everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you. Yep. We want to thank Susan for being on the podcast. You can go check out her book on Amazon. It's called Witness and Wonder. Or the link is right in the description of this podcast as well. If you like the podcast, please hit subscribe, rate us on iTunes, and we'll see you next time.